What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the How Not to Be a Youth Pastor podcast, where your two favorite pastors on the face of the planet, Kyle and Derek, get to talk to you about all of the mistakes that we have made in ministry. Derek, not all of them. Not all of them. No, no, no. There's, uh, we. I think we talked about this on our uh, episode about uh, youth ministry horror stories. Yes. The statute of limitations has not run out on every single one of our mistakes. Not to mention, I feel like I, there are, we don't have enough time for me to disclose every mistake that I make because it's, yeah, it's like an ever flowing fountain where it just, it never reaches the bottom. (laughs) It's uh, as soon as you divulge two mistakes, three more get added. (laughs) Exactly. The next day, I'm not going to pretend that I am exempt from that either. Uh, you know, there for sure have, uh, have made my fair share. Um, but, uh, I will say in, I wasn't really doing this on purpose, but I just described us as, everybody's two favorite youth pastors on all the earth. And eventually when, you know, we have, uh, evangelized, uh, Mars with the help of Elon Musk, uh, we'll have to expand that, but I think we're safe for now. Going back to one of our other episodes, you know, we talked about not getting saved in youth group. What, what, how does that translate with Mars evangelism? Uh, Mars or Mars Hill? You are something else. Let's go. Let's go with Mars because okay, I don't yeah. really want to talk about Mars Hill. Okay. Um, someone did talk about in Mars Hill in excess. So if you're looking for other podcast entertainment other than this great one, which obviously listen to ours first, but we only have yeah you know fifty sixty minutes of content a week, and you have much more waking time for where you can you know, listen to podcasts. And so, yeah, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, that was a really fun uh, podcast to listen to. And depressing. Well, it was a little depressing. Yes. I did. So this is, uh, I I don't know if this is like a thing or if this was just a Mars Hill thing, but in listening to that podcast, I've discovered, I learned that their worship teams, uh, they did not have like, you know, Derek goes to, you know, Derek's in a service and he goes up to the worship leader after a Sunday service, like, Hey, like worship was awesome. Um, I'm, you know, I've been here for about a year now, really want to get involved and I play, you know, guitar, drums, piano, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, is there any way for me to do that? And basically they did not like take individual volunteers. Like you formed a band and then like that what like you auditioned to be a part of the worship team as a band and then your band played like Whoa. you know on a sunday it's intense but like a hundred so so that part i'm like oh i wonder how many other churches do that like mm-hmm. that i mean they, we're talking huge huge church obviously yeah. but uh or at the time but i i wonder how many churches do that the other piece of it was that like they were really really big on like we wouldn't preach other people's sermons. Why would we play other people's worship music? Oh, and so they, which, you know, if you know the story, you realize the irony in what I just said, but, uh, (laughs) they, so all of their worship music on Sunday mornings from what I, from what I can tell was original. And so these bands would, would write their own worship music and audition as a band to, you know, lead worship as a band. There was not individual volunteers. So crazy. So yeah, there's your, you didn't come to this podcast for Mars Hill Trivia, but you got it. Yeah. Uh, You're welcome. <laughs> you can now tune out the rest of the 
to say, right? <laughs> yeah, that was they got what they came for. Perfect. Um, quick question of the day, Derek. When you were growing up, uh, what was like that one thing that it felt like everyone in your in your grade or your school or your youth group like like what was that one thing that everybody had? Yeah, I'm throwing this back, and I'm I'm as I'm talking, I'm actually looking to make sure I am remembering this correctly. But okay. If you are a 1990s baby or, you know, somewhere in, in the likes, so you're, you're later on the millennial scale. There were these things called Furbies. <laughs> do, did you, do you remember Furbies, Kyle? I, I don't think I ever owned one, but I'm very familiar with I'm, them. I'm flipping my computer nope, around yep. to show you. I, that looks exactly like it did in my head. It is one of the, it's like a little stuffed animal with these horrific looking eyes on this, this animal. And it was like one of the first, from what I can remember, like animated robotic talking toys. So you'd hit the button and the eyes would like blink and it would like, you know, spout out some kind of phrase or something. And like every single person had one. And I remember, I remember getting one and feeling paternally responsible for this Furby to where like <laughs> I was at a birthday party bowling and I felt bad that my Furby was back at home without Aww. me. And I look back on that with sheer embarrassment. Like, it's a stuffed animal that even looking at it right now is terrifying. It, it is a scary looking... But this is why you're such a good dad. Because you <laughs> started building your paternal instincts with your Furby when you were eight Babe, if you're listening to this, just remember what Kyle just said, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, you can so, uh, pay me my 20 bucks for that later. Kyle, what, what you're telling me is when you have your child here soon, if you're listening to this, there's a chance Kyle's already like holding There's a good child. chance. Yeah, I'm back. I'm still here. Yeah, uh, you are back. It, Welcome. <laughs> previous episodes, we talked about maybe I wouldn't be, but I'm still here. Just know when I show up to meet your daughter and say hi and congratulate both of you. And I have two gifts in my hand, one for your child and one for you. Just know the one for you probably will have a Furby inside of it. Well, so here's the problem. I like, I will have already had a child at that point. So the building of the paternal instincts with the Furby (laughs) is useless at that point. It's kind of like the Furby is like the bunny heel. Like instead of you're, you're, you're going to be, yeah, but I already did the, like take a baby home for a high school health class. Well, like I already did that. Fine. Fine. I'm trying to be considerate, trying to get you a gift and you're just, you're not taking it. So no, I'm not. Why don't, why don't we flip this to you? What is it that when you were a kid and you went to a Christian school, so maybe it was like a leather bound gold page Bible that everybody got, but what is it that you wanted that everybody else had first of all i went to a catholic school so nobody had bibles oh <laughs> sorry that was too easy it was too easy it was too i'm easy. kidding uh sort of but uh i <laughs> i'm gonna take it way back and this is gonna be a really really small thing if you say hit clips you're my best friend in the world no i'm dang it uh you know what i had two though hit clips were the best yeah i had uh who let the dogs out oh <laughs> Me too. So did I. And uh, the other, it was it was two of them that came together. It was uh, Who Let the Dogs Out and it was... Uh, the Backstreet it, Boys? I thought it was NSYNC. Okay. I think it was NSYNC. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was great. But no, that I, the kind of the thing that was like, if you have one of these, you're cool. Do you remember those like little pointed uh, like 
eraser heads that you yes. can put on top of your pencil. Yes. And it was a way better eraser than the one that came way on better. the pencil. Yeah. And man, if you had those, you wow. were way cooler than everybody else. And they, they came in different colors, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like the neon. Yeah. Yep. You could, uh, you could kind of do the, like, I, I didn't think that bugles were going to be making a, <laughs> an appearance on the podcast today, but like bugles and these things were uh-huh. the same. Like you could like try to see how many you could stack up in a row. I was more so thinking like I had small hands so I could like make little yep. claws with, with mine. Cause I put them on my fingers. Classic man, we're this is a great wow. throwback. How did you have a uh, did you have a Game Boy growing up? Sure did. Nice. I had the Game Boy Color, the original. Yep. Then I had the Game Boy Advance, which is like the purple, super wide one. Then I got the Game Boy Advance SP, the mm-hmm. one that like flips open like a cell phone. It had the the thing with this one is it had the light, like the backlight on it. Whereas before, if yep. you had to play it in the car at night, you had to have like one of those little <laughs> attachable lights <laughs> to look on the screen. Yep. Oh my gosh. I am I am fair so I had I had a Game Boy Advance. Yep. Uh my sister had a Game Boy Color, I had a Game Boy Advance and then we just jumped straight to Xbox, but <laughs> that's not fair. Um, that's like but that's uh jump. Well, I'm not saying that it happened like when the Xbox came okay. out. <laughs> but uh we had uh I I had a Game Boy Advance and it like Derek mentioned, it did not have the backlight. Nope. And I'm fairly confident that there are two reasons that I now wear glasses. One of them is because <laughs> when I was, I would, I would, I loved reading like the Hardy Boys books. I think I literally read every single one that existed. I don't think I even when I was read in grade school. Uh, and I would like stay up late. Like my parents thought I was in bed. I'd grab a flashlight under the covers reading my Hardy Boys book. Nice. Or. I would be under the covers playing my Game Boy, but either way, I had to have the flashlight. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out how you held the flashlight. Like reading makes sense. You can hold a book one-handed, mm-hmm. but playing a Game Boy and holding a flashlight, that's I like, think usually what I did was like I was laying on my back and sure. so the flashlight was like under my chin, chin. Yep. and then I was you know, holding the Game Boy so that I could the flashlight was shining on it. Th- this part of the episode is always so fun because... I literally, we cannot script where it goes. It just, it just <laughs> naturally happens. Like I didn't anticipate referencing today to your point. Well, Game I, th- I think, and all of these different things. You ready for this? Yep. Cause this wasn't planned either, but you know, a lot of, you know, the reason that I had glasses or that I have glasses, uh, unless we have a sponsor that wants to pay for my LASIK surgery. <laughs> um, right. Uh, the reason that it happened is because I I just I couldn't get enough of my Game Boy and and I wanted it like basically it was the result of me trying to hide something. Oh goodness! See here, you're trying to just give this this great transition, and now I'm just gonna blatantly screw it up by <laughs> by making this like just a, a clunky transition. But I thought that was pretty good. I'm impressed with you. I, you. I see. I was waiting for you to jump down a completely random rabbit hole. So that that's what. No, it, no, it I'm threw trying to steer us back onto onto Thank the you. track. Now here. that we're what 11 minutes into this, yeah, thing? something like that. Something like that. Well, speaking of what Kyle so eloquently, you know, d- dived into is hiding something, you know? And so what we're going to talk about today, I just want to throw this, in, this disclaimer out there is it's going to be a sensitive topic. Um, and it's one of those things where we might even have listeners who uh, this directly applies to you as an individual, applies to you as a pastor, applies to you as a parent, 
Um, and so we're going to approach this topic with a certain dignity and respect. We also just want to uh, just let our listeners know that it is going to be a sensitive topic with different approaches and everything else that goes with it. I do hope that like they figured some of this out from like the title of the episode, but yeah, you know, for, for those that just clicked next without looking at the title, uh, I, like, I do know of at least one fifth grader that listens to our podcast. And mm-hmm. so we're just going to, you know, throw this one out there and yeah, uh, you can skip to the next one or yep. keep listening. Right. Because it's one of those things so often we talk about when we look at all these different youth ministry contexts and we talk about what we talk about on this on this podcast, so much of it is the diversity of your context and your group. You know, Kyle and I have mentioned this in excess before, but our ministries are 30 minutes apart geographically. But if you were to, to walk in and see the culture and the types of students and the maturity of students, it would be very, very different amongst our two contexts, even though we're only 30 minutes geographically apart. But there are certain things that are universal almost to every single youth ministry, every single teenager uh, in our world. You know, there are things like mental health, peer pressure, all of those things. But what we want to highlight today is the universal use, the universal, I guess we could call it problem, the universal use of this thing called pornography. And we're going to talk about this today because I can say with a stark amount of certainty that there are students, parents, youth leaders, and in some cases, youth pastors who have been exposed to pornography, perhaps even addicted to pornography. And it's something that you will probably find in every single ministry, youth ministry, um, especially and it can be difficult to talk about. And here and here's here's why. Is because Kyle, I know you your youth ministry is seventh through twelfth. Is that correct? Sixth through twelfth. Sixth through twelfth. Yep. As is ours. And so as Kyle alluded to, you know, there are there's a fifth grader listening regularly. And so here is a dilemma that I'm sure most youth pastors can empathize with. When you are talking to sixth graders and talking to twelfth graders, like I just said, there are things that apply to both relatively fine. Mental health is a great example. But when you're talking about exposure to sexual encounters, when you're talking about things like pornography, the scope and experience of a 12th grader to this and a 6th grader is very, very different. And it kind of creates this dilemma for you as a youth pastor. Because on one hand, you want to be frank, you want to be direct, you want to speak directly to the, the topic at hand. But I can remember vividly early on in my youth ministry career, I was having a purity night where we talked about purity and sex and all those good types of good things. And I mentioned pornography. And I watched one of our sixth graders lean over to their friend. Like I could read their lips and they said, what's pornography? Whoops. Right. And so it's one of those things where now, even though I was talking about it in one of those like good positive lights, when little Johnny goes home and asks about pornography and mom and dad goes, where did you hear that? Pastor Derek said it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, it's not funny, but it's also hilarious to, you know, think about that conversation. Like, yeah, my youth pastor told me about pornography for the first, like I'd never heard of it. And then my youth pastor was the one that told me about it. Like, that's not usually how that story goes, nor is it really what youth pastors are aiming for. No. Uh, but 
there's such a wide variety of, and even, uh, you know, when you have, uh, and I'm going to attempt not to stereotype here, but sometimes when you have, uh, students that have been homeschooled for a large majority of their schooling, uh, you know, that ticks up past sixth grade, seventh grade, even eighth grade. Uh, and, and you could risk getting that question at the same time, you know, I don't like, I think you and I could probably agree that at some point, every single human, at least in America is going to be familiar with what pornography is at least on a conceptual level. Yep. And so if you get to choose, like, does, does little Johnny discover pornography because he accidentally mistyped a web address Mm -hmm. or did he, you know, first learn about it because his youth pastor mentioned it in a sermon and then he went home and asked mom and dad. Right. Well, the second one is clearly better. Right. It, it is relying on Johnny to, you know, go and mention it to his mom and dad versus look it up himself. But, uh, and, and we'll, you know, we can kind of get into, you know, some of the things that youth pastors can do to help with that. But, you know, youth ministry is not the worst place in the world to have this conversation. Um, I think the problem that we as youth pastors are up against is that parents sometimes are ill-equipped to be the ones to initially have this conversation. Uh, They don't see it as a problem. And mm-hmm. so they don't initiate the conversation or they just refuse. Yeah. Like, you know, you're the youth pastor, you teach them this stuff. Yeah. And if, if parents took the lead on this and church was kind of the supplement to it, I think, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm in dangerous territory because I, as of recording, you know, do not physically have a child outside the womb, but I think that some of the, I, I think there's a lot of stuff in parenting that if we get out ahead of it, uh, you know, we can, it, it's going to be an easier conversation than if we're trying to backtrack and, and cover up some stuff. Yeah. Well, and it, let's just call it for what it is. You know, as a parent, this can be a tough conversation mm-hmm. and, and the timeline of this is ever changing. We're going to dive into stats here in just a second, but the age of first exposure is getting less and less, you know, like I just to share, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I think I first experienced it, uh, personally in like fifth grade or so. Um, you know, there are, I now hear of eight year olds who are regularly watching it, like eight years old. That is insane. That's, that's, that's like straight up child. And so it's, it's one of those things where to, to just give parents some credit, I can, I can empathize with this dilemma of, I want to preserve their innocence as long as I can. But at the same time, knowing we live in a sexually charged world. And so how do you have that conversation? Because the other part of it is you don't want to, you don't want to, as a parent, you don't want to be the one who like urges them in because you have to have it be delicate. Like, Hey, here's what pornography is. But like, imagine, imagine telling your kid, kids are naturally born with this innate curiosity. Imagine me going up to my four-year-old saying, Hey, buddy, there's something out there right now that you have no idea what it is, but don't go and touch it. Mm-hmm. Go, don't go and look for it. Like yeah. that, that, that's like, yeah. the, like, you naturally just now 
built this fire in them of like, I want to go see it's, what that is. I, I This is going to be a little ironic, but it's Nemo. Don't touch the butt. Yep. <laughs> right. But like, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. exactly what you did. Like, uh-huh. you know, don't touch the butt. What am I going to do? I'm going to go touch it. Yep, exactly. And, and, and so let's dive into, we're going to dive into like kind of how you handle this, this as a youth pastor, as a parent, what are some things you can do about it? Because it's not a matter of, if your kid becomes exposed to pornography, it's a matter of when. So, and here's how, how I know that. We're about to share some legitimate data and stats that I spent a fair amount of time researching the last few days. And two big websites I got these from, if you want to go find where they are, Covenant Eyes is one of them. And the other one is is fightthenewdrug.org. And so you'll find a lot of these stats in those two websites. But check this out. This is a little depressing. So, Pornography is a full-on industry. Globally, it's a $97 billion industry annually. $97 billion is generated in revenue from pornography alone. $12 billion of that is just in the United States. This next stat is going to absolutely wreck you like it wrecked me, if I'm guessing. uh, Before we move off of that initial uh, financial statistic, um, $97 billion. uh, First of all, did you know that the single most profitable private business in the United States is in Minnesota? No. What is it? Uh, Cargill. Which is a really? It's in they're in the uh, food and drink industry. Come on now. Um, but uh, so ninety seven billion dollars a year would make the porn industry number three on the list of of American businesses. Uh, their twelve million or sorry twelve billion dollar revenue number mm-hmm. just in the U.S. Yep. Uh, that nestles them quite nicely in between the NBA and the NFL. The NBA is at tw- uh, 10 billion and the NFL I think is at like 14 or 17. And so just to bring some scope to, uh, to that, now, especially that, you know, $12 billion annually uh, for, uh, for the United States like that is a right up there with the two biggest uh, professional sports leagues. And when you think about how much exposure and how much, I mean, you see the jerseys, you see the ticket sales, and you yeah. realize how much that is. It it, it just kind of speaks to actually. I so I am a I don't I don't know why because it's painful, but I'm a New Orleans Saints fan, and yep. and my number two team is Minnesota, which is not any better. Nope, I would say worse, honestly. Who you? Yeah, probably. Uh, they're both terrible to root for because they never win, uh, except for the Saints once. Um, but honest, okay, this is not what we're talking about at all, but do you want to know what is just the worst torture anybody could ever have ever is being a Minnesota sports fan? Yeah. It's the worst, but okay, we're off of that. Um, the New Orleans Saints, uh, their stadium uh, was sponsored by, uh, uh, now I'm blanking, uh, Mercedes-Benz. I was going to say, yeah. And uh, like a year or two ago, that contract ran out and Mercedes Benz didn't want to new, renew it. And so, you know, they needed a new sponsor for the stadium. And there was a pornography website that like made a very strong bid to be the sponsor of the city. Now the NFL was never going to allow that. Mm-hmm. I think they probably did it just as a publicity stunt for themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. But, uh, now granted, I believe Caesar's sports book is now the, Correct. that's like, that's not, 
great, right? <laughs> but the uh, gambling, uh, but like that again, just speaks to the the power and the sway and the the finances that are behind this industry. Especially when you realize that there are a lot of quote unquote free resources out there. So when Correct. you think about how much revenue that is from, it, it, it's sickening. Now here is what literally I will never, ever forget this stat. In 2019, there's a reputable pornography website. Thankfully they didn't give a name, nor would I say the name in general to give them any form of publicity. Fair. But this is one, one website, one. If you were to take the duration of pornography videos watched on this website and strung them together. So if you have a five-minute video watched by somebody, another five-minute video watched by somebody else, that'd be a cumulative 10 minutes. You follow me with this? If you strung together in one year's time how much pornography was watched on this one website, it would go on continuously for 6,650 centuries. Centuries. 100 years is a century. So you strain together how much film was watched in one year on one website. It would be a continuous video that stretches on for 6,650 times 100. Can you do the math? That would be 665,000 years. Is that correct? Uh, Yes. Okay. So you think about America has been a country for... Not that. Nope. So when you think about 400 years in one, nope, one year, 1760, 230, right? Yeah. 250, 262. I don't care anymore. But like, let's call, let's call it 300 (laughs) years just for easy math, right? 300 in, in the scope of 665,000 years is a drop in the bucket. And when you think about how long America has been a country, like it just puts into perspective how long that is. You have, here's here's the when I just thought about this number. If you live to a hundred years old, that's like a feat. Like that's like a long life, right? Imagine this one year of pornography stretched on for your entire life, twenty four seven for your entire life times six thousand six hundred and fifty. Like that is an obscene obscene amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I literally came and wrapped my head around it and that was one website. So it, it just goes to show where you get that big number is one, how long people are watching and two, how many people are watching on that one website. Yeah. Then yeah, that the, the idea that that's just one website is scary is, is scary. I don't, I got nothing. I'm, I'm looking at, uh, I'm trying to find some statistics because I was curious and we could have put this in the notes, but I didn't think of it until now. Uh, like what percentage of uh, pornography users pay for right. that? Mm-hmm. Because that's the other scary piece of like $12 billion in annual revenue and how much of like the industry exists on free platforms. Correct. Yeah. And so like that's, you know, just like, I think our point with some of these numbers are just how widespread, how widespread and massive it is. Yeah. You know, if you get down to a, um, you know, kind of a youth ministry specific channel, 
uh, you know, of teenager males, teenagers, like 14 to 18 years old, uh, we've got about 84% of them, uh, have, have seen pornography, 57% of females ages 14 to 18. Uh, and, and so that right there, you know, the first thing that pops out to me is if you have statistically, if you have two students in your youth ministry, at least one of them has seen porn. Uh, and those numbers are increasing by the way. Yeah. I don't doubt that. Uh, and then the other, the other one is that, uh, for males, 51% of males, uh, reported their first exposure to pornography, uh, experienced that prior to their teenage years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 32% of females, uh, said that their first exposure to pornography was, uh, in preteen years. Right. Which is 12, right? Yep. 12, 11, 12 and 10, below. Yeah. yeah. So a third, a third of females and half of, of males before they are 13, which is, which again, for context is probably like, Potentially a third of females and half of males are, have been exposed to pornography before entering your youth ministry. Yeah. Right. Which is, it's, it's insane. Like, mm-hmm. right. Like, and, and this isn't anywhere in here, but I think the problem that we're noticing is yes, this industry is growing because it's more accessible. You know, pornography used to be, you need to go out and buy materials to physically grasp with your hands. Right. We're now putting computers essentially. I hate when people call them computers because they're phones, but like you get my point. Like <laughs> my personal computer that also doubles as a communication device. I my my stepdad is an absolute encyclopedia. He's insane. But like I, I, I could get this wrong. I, I don't want to butcher this, but I, I believe it. The technology that put the man on the moon for the first time the processing power of that was less than what an iPhone is now. You know, so we're putting iPhones, Android, smartphones into the hands of our 10, 11, 12 year olds and they have direct access. Yeah. We're putting Androids into the smart ones hands because Android is better. I figured you'd have to take your shot at one point. (laughs) And so whenever I can, I think that speaks to parents and the youth pastor specifically that you have, you can't, you can't assume your kids haven't been exposed to it because Mm -hmm. It's everywhere now. And here's... And that's where... uh, Just sorry. That's where parents taking the lead on this conversation is so important. Correct. Because if if parents... If if you are sitting on your hands waiting for... I just... Sorry. A reference. I'm going to share a story in a minute and I can't believe I like am sharing this on a podcast. Well, you pulled out Finding Nemo touching the butt. So I'm really excited where this is going to go. No, this is going to be the most random thing I've ever said in 64 episodes of this podcast. But first I have to say, like as a parent, if you are sitting on your hands waiting for your kid to just innocently come and ask you, hey, what's porn? It's probably not going to happen. No. Um, but <laughs> so, uh, there was an interview on the, I don't know that it was on what show specifically it was on, but Ellen DeGeneres interviewing, I believe it was P Diddy. See, told you this was the most random thing I've ever said on the podcast. Uh, and so she's interviewing and they're talking about, uh, I, I hope it was P Diddy, uh, this is where I wish we had a video element because I would love to look back and see my face when you pulled out P. Diddy <laughs> just now. So uh, he has, uh, so at the time of this interview, he had daughters, uh, two daughters, 
And uh, I think they're, you know, I, like the one was like 15 is the one they were talking about. Like, oh, like she's in school or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ellen asked him if she had any boyfriends. And he literally like was like, well, no, like, you know, we still got a couple of years before that. And she's like 15 and, or 16 or something like that. And Ellen's like, uh, I don't think so. And you, you can see this guy like having a parenting crisis sitting in this chair on television. Yeah. And, and he's like, like you can tell watching it that his in every instinct in his body is telling him to run off the stage to mm-hmm. go find his daughter so that he can talk to her about boys. Yep, 100%. Like that is, that is what is running through his mind and he can't cause he's on television. He's got to do an interview. But, and so like, he's like panicking, like, Oh, like, like, when do girls get boyfriends? And she's like, well, when did you first get a, when did you, were you first interested in girls? And he's like, Oh, I don't know. Like I was a wild kid, oh, blah, blah, blah. But she's like, well, yeah, it's probably, you know, it's probably earlier than 15 or 16. That's for sure. Well, and the thing is, especially when we talk about pornography, it's not, it's not always a conscious choice that they become exposed to it. Here's what's crazy. So this goes back to the industry thing for a second. We're at church three years ago. I have a youth student who's running media for us. He has to go and pull the sermon notes from Gmail to get the, you know, the pastor's notes so he can put them into the slides. He typed in, he got one letter wrong when he typed in google.com. As soon as he hit that, it instantly brought up a porn website with videos right on the homepage. They bought the domain with one letter off of google.com to try and get traffic. Yep. I, I know that uh, websites have done the same thing with Disney, which is uh, arguably even worse. It's, but doesn't that speak to the vile and sick yeah. nature of what they're willing to do? And so here, here's what I will say to that. Like it's, if your kid's been exposed to pornography, it's not because they went out and sought it out inherently. It's because yeah. pornography is seeking them out. Yeah. Well, and if you look at, I mean, movies and TV shows and you know, what they can get away with and commercials mm-hmm. uh, that, that will come on TV during a football game, uh, you know, is that, you know, porn by the classic definition? No, but some of those things are going to, you know, get the ball rolling kind of thing. And that is literally like part of their goal with, yeah. with what they're doing is like, Hey, let's get the ball rolling and, you know, make this kid, you know, a little bit curious. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, one thing leads to another, uh, just for the record. Yes, it was P Diddy. Well done. I, I found it. It was a clip from an interview back in May. Wow. But, uh, nice. yeah. Go P Diddy. Yep. So obviously, Kyle, the answer, right, is to this. So this is a crisis. We, we've established that. The answer is just go to the church, right? Because surely that, <laughs> that, that will solve everything. The church has all the answers. Yep. Uh, Specifically, wrong. the uh, mortal and fallen humans leading the church. Correct. Yeah. They're infallible yeah. because they love Jesus. Well, the Pope is, but everybody else is. <laughs> what is with you and the Catholic Church's episode? I don't know. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. First of all, like Catholic doctrine, doctrine does believe that the Pope is infallible. So that was, yes, I was just right. stating a fact. I don't necessarily believe or agree with that, but uh, no, Derek's right. Like uh, one in five youth pastors use porn on a regular basis. One in seven lead pastors, Uh which is like, that's, I mean, over 50,000 church leaders. Like we said, this is not, 
you know, going to infallible, perfect church leaders for the answer. These are broken, sinful humans, uh, that, uh, that are attempting to lead God's people. Yeah. And only seven, the, the idea that only 7% of churches have a program to assist in porn addiction and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's, that's not like for pastors. That's like porn addictions in their congregants. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, that is an incredibly low number when compared to, you know, by the time a kid is 18, 57% of females and 84% of males have seen this. Mm-hmm. Now that does not necessarily, you know, seen does not equal addicted. Right. But it could but, be. <laughs> but it could. And I'm sure the number is, I mean, we're not talking like, we're not talking 7% of churchgoers no. are addicted to porn. And so 7% of churches have ways to, to help with that. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the thing that I, we want to reiterate. The reason porn is dangerous is because the sexual drive built into humans is a God-given thing. And here's where the church gets it wrong. The response to porn, which is addictive, it's evil. We'll get to that in a second. But the desire to have sex is not. It, it is a God-given thing. Like it, It's meant to procreate, yes, but we could get into this in a whole nother episode. But like God desires for sex to be something that is pleasurable, enjoyable, intimate. Sex is a very good thing. The reason pornography is dangerous is because it's an artificial form of something God-given. You know, it's fake. It's not real. And so here's what's crazy. Statistically, people who are addicted to pornography for long enough time actually struggle to be attracted to a person of the opposite sex in real life because they can't bond to a 3D version. The other thing that comes along with this is the the prevalence of erectile dysfunction is way higher if you're addicted to pornography. And here's here's the crazy part about all of that is um, it's it's chemical, like it, it, it's literally artificial. Here's what blew my mind: um, the long term effects of pornography, what it does to your brain, what it does to your body, what it does to you on a mental physical and emotional level is similar and synonymous with illegal drugs because the dopamine effect, the dopamine dump that you get from this quote unquote pleasurable experience watching pornography over time, it degenerates your prefrontal cortex in your brain. What that does is dopamine is the hormones inside your brain that make you feel good. When you have something that feels good, you get a dopamine dump. That's the hormone that makes you feel good and go, Ooh, I want that. The prefrontal cortex is kind of like your rationale center. So when you're like, man, those Oreos taste really, really good. And you're and, and Oreos do taste very good. They do. And they give Delicious. you they give you dopamine. But when you're half of a package in and you go, <laughs> I probably Derek, should this stop. Is a problem. <laughs> I should probably stop before I feel sick. That's your prefrontal cortex. Now, I'm getting very nerdy with this, but there's a purpose for this. When you seek dopamine more than more than your prefrontal cortex can take over your brain that part of your brain gets weakened like a muscle so the more you override your prefrontal cortex which is telling you hey stop 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 the more you will degenerate the ability to resist so this is where people have lost jobs 
because they don't show up to, to work because they're so addicted to watching pornography. It is a legitimate thing. There's a reason that website was called Fight the New Drug because mentally, psychologically, chemically, pornography is creating the result of illegal drugs. And, he, and here's what I'll say with this and then we'll go into like, you guys are probably getting the, the image here that pornography is a, a lot more than just images on a screen. It's a lot more than just, it's just pornography. It's not hurting anybody. It kind of is though, because here's another thing. 56% of divorces reported in America stated that porn addiction was prevalent by one member. Yeah. So on top of that, 68% of divorces had the other person leaving their spouse for another person left over the internet. And 70% of wives who had a previous husband who was addicted to sex experienced symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder because it was so traumatic what they had to walk through. So, yeah, that's that's like all three of those statistics are crazy. Um, I think that, you know, mar- we could probably talk for a while on the marital effects oh of, gosh, of pornography. Yeah. And, and honestly, I mean... You know, we could have got a lot longer on just like the physical and chemical effects in the brain too. I think the the effects of pornography, or the the avenue of the effects of pornography that is the most heartbreaking for for Derek and I and and for a lot of people would be the correlation between pornography and human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, specifically. Uh, you know, one, one of the, one of the ones where those two really can come together would be child pornography, uh, or, or teenage. And so, you know, like 2018, uh, there were four, I don't know who, you know, I assume like the FBI is, mm-hmm. is finding these like 45 million images found, mm-hmm. uh, which is gross. Yep. Uh, 2019 that jumps from 45 million to 69.1 million. And I have, I can, I can assure you of two things. One, that jump cannot just be attributed to like, you know, we doubled the task force trying to fight this. Nope. Uh, and two, the numbers probably gone up since significantly, um, especially so looking at, uh, you know, the porn industry, there were some really cool wins that we saw throughout the world uh, in 2020 in this industry because of COVID. Because of COVID, uh, one of them. Uh, I where's the uh, uh, the red light district? Is that Amsterdam? I'll look it up. I think so. Uh, yeah. I believe it's Amsterdam. Uh, it just it's it's a it's a district that is just like sex worker city basically, and there were hundreds of women. Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. There were hundreds of women that were just that that were in human trafficking, like enslaved in this, and there were hundreds of them that were just let loose mm-hmm. because their traffickers, like because of COVID, they weren't able to make money and they couldn't afford to keep these women. There was and one so, country where it was thousands, yeah, like eighty some thousand, and and so like that's a huge win. Mm-hmm. The other side of this is, hey, COVID you know, we got less money coming in. So we have to resort to different ways to make money. Mm-hmm. And so my get this is not based on statistics and maybe I'll turn it over to you and do some research here quick. 
But my guess is that through COVID, the trafficking industry took a minor hit, but the child pornography image industry went up. Everyone's at home. Everyone's behind closed doors. Right. You know, it, it is. And, and I'm sure the porn usage went way up it in that had to. as well. You're at home. You're, you're, you're bored. You, you, you need human interaction. And so I think just to put a bow on all of this again, we are, we are really far into this episode and we've really created no solutions. We've just painted this picture, but I think the the purpose of, of us painting this picture is not to instill more guilt, more shame. Uh, if you struggle with pornography as addiction, odds are when you're all said and done, you already kind of feel that that influx of, of, of guilt and shame. And if you don't, our goal here is not to make you feel that, but it is one of those things where you're going to have students, if you're a youth pastor, you're going to have students who are actively walking through this. You're going to have parents who are trying to figure out how you can talk about this. As we just saw above, if you're a youth pastor listening, you very well might struggle with this. This might be an ongoing battle for you. And so what the one thing we have not mentioned yet, Kyle, is the spiritual effects or the spiritual connection to pornography. So let's dive into that for a little second while you finish researching any other things that we got. But there's always a question that I get asked, is pornography mentioned in the Bible? My answer is yes, but not technically. If you were to pull up a digital Bible and and look for the keyword of pornography, you won't find it in the Bible. Now, what you will find is uh, sexual immorality. I always like, I always want to say sexual immortality, which, uh, is definitely a different thing, but sexual immorality, uh, you'll see it in Galatians. You'll see it in first Corinthians chapter six sins. A person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their body. We can get into that in a second, but basically the, the, the rationale is doing a sexual act that is not inherently God designed creates sinful problems. The other thing, and this is where I think this is where this is always the the thing that I lean on when people say, well, pornography is not a sin because that's not in the Bible, but it is because the word lust is mentioned in Matthew chapter five, verse 28. And Jesus says, if you even look at a person lustfully, meaning you want to engage with them in a sexual encounter, you want to envision them naked, you want to like, in if, if you had the choice, you would engage into them in a sexual encounter if, if you even think it, if you even between your two ears have this thought, it's as good as in Jesus's eyes, it's as good as actually committing the act, committing adultery. And so it's one of those things where a lot of rebuttals that I'm sure Kyle gets, I know I get is it's just pornography. They're, they're just, there's no other real person. But the problem is when you look at a sexual image like that and you're, you're bringing it back to your own self, when you have that lust inside of you, in the eyes of Jesus, it's as good as if you're actually doing it, you know? And so that's the thing of where, when we talk about the spiritual effects of pornography, it's not, it's not just a matter of an image. It's not just a matter of watching a movie. It's not just a matter of, of, of just a image on a screen. It's, it's you putting yourself in that situation and engaging in lustful behavior. And so it's one of those things where, if you, if you are a youth pastor in here, you struggle with it. If you're a parent, if you're whatever, you might already feel that. So again, I want to just continue to reiterate this. 
The goal is not to suppress sex. The goal is not to just lock ourselves down, discipline ourselves and go sex bad, sex bad, sex bad. Like the purpose of this is to figure out how you can experience freedom to experience sex in the way it's meant to be created. And if you engage in pornography willingly, if you are, this is something you're not willing to fight against, you will find yourself constrained. You will find yourself ridden with guilt and shame and and all the other things that come with it. You will not be experiencing the freedom that God has for you if you willingly engage in pornography. And so Our intent for the rest of this episode is not to further entrench guilt inside of you. It's for you to push through the discomfort, to push through the difficulty, to empower and equip pastors, parents, students to cling on to the things that God has for you because I can promise you the real thing is worth it. The real way in sex, when it's fulfilled by design, when it's fulfilled the way God intended to, it is something that is truly powerful and magical. And we want that freedom for our listeners. Is there anything else that you found, Kyle, that you want to add before we talk about solutions? Okay. So, uh, there was, my goodness, these, this is the most depressing thing that I've ever Googled. I'm telling um, you. Okay. So first statistic, uh, from February, 2020, to the end of March 2020, there was an increase. Wait, is that like one month? Yeah. To February 2020, March. Yeah, February 2020, to, as well as so basically two months. Beginning yeah, of February sure. to the end of March. Yep. Basically, yeah. Uh, we all know what happened in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was an increase of over 200% in uh, posts on known, ch- known child sex abuse forums that link to downloadable images and videos. So that's a 200% increase in the amount of posts. Uh, The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children registered a 106% increase in reports of suspected exploitation. Um, The, and then the aforementioned fightthenewdrug.org um, there was there. I don't. They have so many stats on here. I don't know which That's ones. That's the website say, I pulled from. Yeah, yeah, there. There's. I mean, there was a two hundred. Yeah, two hundred percent spike in in the searches. Ninety five percent increase in consumption of uh, child pornography. Uh, there. I mean, there's just uh, there's. This is just depressing. It I'll, is. I'll save our listeners. Our point is, there's a lot to this, but I do want to add to what Derek was talking about there. Uh, I, I just, I think that uh, maybe, maybe as an incur or not an encouragement, but a, a word of caution. Cause you mentioned that a lot of times uh, churches will point to the answer being, you know, uh, Paul's it's better to marry than to, uh, you know, Mm-hmm. I don't remember burn with fire or I don't, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes right. it sound like you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, his, you know, Paul's point is like, you know, it's better for you to just get married than to just be living in temptation forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, pornography is not something where 
marriage just solves all the issues. Yeah. I We could probably do an episode for our youth students on like, hey, when you grow up, marriage just in general shouldn't be viewed that way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. like marriage does not just solve all the issues in your life. Uh, but this is, you know, I think you're right. There, a lot of times that is how churches view sex in general, sex in general, like, Oh, like you, you have this problem, just get married. And then the problem magically goes away. Yep. And that I, that's creates a lot of how that works. A lot of marital problems. Yeah. Again, we could get into that too. Um, but like I, here's where I want to spin it. Here's where I want to get more positive Mm -hmm. because this is not, while it, it, we talked about it being equivalent to drugs, there, there is not as much, physical addictions that like, you, you can, you can get over this and you can, uh, you know, get through this and, and become better and all these different things that go with it. So like, what do we do? Okay. So we're going to, we're going to take this from the perspective of a youth pastor slash adult slash parent slash youth leader first. What do you do with this growing industry, this growing epidemic? What do you do? First of all, start with yourself. That's probably a really good place to start. Um, if you are struggling with pornography yourself, that's got to be the A topic. That's got to be where you start because you can't ask your students to do something that you're doing yourself. Now, um, statistically, we, we've seen that this is, not, this is not uncommon. One in five youth pastors and one in seven lead pastors, Kyle, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of, of people. And it's one of those things like, it's not, again, it's not a guilt thing, but you're not living in the freedom that God's meant for your life. Like, like pornography is addictive. It's enslaving. And God wants that freedom for you to be experienced. So if you find yourself in that, in that cycle, like we're going to challenge you to, to fight back and get out of it. And here's what I would say, and, and Cal, feel free to interject here, but even if you're not someone who actively struggles with it, um, just, just purely speaking here, uh, if you're actively helping people not struggle with pornography, you might experience some spiritual warfare in the realm of sexual temptation. Yeah. Like what better way for, for negative things to happen than for a youth pastor who was super solid um, or a lead pastor has a great marriage to come out that, oh, he's actually been wrestling with a pornography addiction. Well, and I think that, or uh, she in true, first of all, uh, sexual sin and uh financial uh lying yeah <laughs> i don't know what the i don't know what the word is financial uh you know stealing are like the two currently in at least the american church culture uh those are the two things that you are seeing a ton yep that are being publicly exposed and, you know, ruining the careers of pastors and, you know, youth pastors, lead pastors, worship pastors, take your pick. Um, you know, like big name pastors are, you know, those are the two that tend to creep up. And so if you are a, a pastor or a youth leader, uh, those are the two areas that I would highly encourage you to, uh, focus your efforts on improving yourself in and, and setting up guardrails uh, to you know, resist temptation and live above reproach. 
Uh, you know, one of the things I'll, I may have shared this on an episode of the podcast before, but, uh, one of the things that I like, it's not a secret to anybody that Derek and I are both male. Um, and that can sometimes lead to, uh, like, Hey, we have a female youth student that wants to chat. Okay. I want to be able to, you know, have the conversation with that student, Yep. but there are, you know, some guardrails that we need to have in those situations. I love to bring a female leader into that conversation. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario, I will pull my phone out. And a lot of times the student doesn't even know this is happening because in Minnesota, I'm not going to get into all that, Uh, but I'll pull my phone out and hit audio record Mm -hmm. on an audio recording app and just have that running through our whole conversation. I have conversations on there from years ago. Uh, just in case, yep. uh, you know, having, and, and I'm kind of getting ahead of us here, but, uh, you know, whether or not this is a current struggle, uh, you know, especially for people in leadership in a church, like throw an accountability app on your phone, yep. uh, you know, have an accountability partner that, uh, that you can have real and honest conversations with your accountability partner is no good to you if you just lie to them all right, the time. Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, which like, happens. Like, it, it, it's one of those things that it's it's uncomfortable, right? Like, right. When, like, like when you fall, it's like you're, you're not super eager to be like, hey, um, I screwed up. Yeah. It, yeah, that's not a fun conversation to say, to have. No. Not something people enjoy saying, but having those people in your life. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it gets down to something that I've heard for the last few years that I live by in so many ways is be proactive, not reactive. You know, like if you wait until you're super tempted to get an accountability, like if you're tempted in the moment and you, and you go, man, I should probably download an accountability app. You're too late. Like like you are, you're at the mercy (laughs) of, of temptation. And I'm I'm not saying you're, you're just in for it. But my point is the thing with these kind of these kind of things is I would always picture it like a cliff, right? Like if falling off a cliff is you falling into sin, you know, when you're not tempted at all and you're 40 feet from the edge of that cliff, you're safe. You're not like, Oh, I'm in danger of falling off the cliff. So I always tell people, let's put as many walls as we can increasingly more fortified walls between ourselves and the edge of the cliff to where like, if all you have is one accountability partner that doesn't check in with you. Okay. That that's like putting a stick in front of the edge of the cliff. Like technically there's something in front of you, but it's not a whole lot. But now if let's, let's talk about specifically to pornography, if for you to have to look at pornography, you have to go and intentionally lie to your spouse, completely blatantly lie to accountability partners who check in with you. You have to figure out a back door into getting around the porn blocker websites on your phone. You have to intentionally go and seek out a device that doesn't have, like, you, you see my point here. It gets increasingly more difficult and more deceitful to engage in this sexual sin to where that time and those those parameters might make that prefrontal cortex and the conviction of the Holy Spirit go, don't do this. Don't do this. You know, like if all you have to do is jump on your phone and type in a website and there's no accountability, it's so easy to fall into sin. So here's where we, I just want to, you know, double down what Kyle said. One, have an accountability partner 
Heck, have five. Like, like you can yeah. like, like have as many as you can. And if you are married, your spouse better be on it. And like, don't don't buck if if they say, "Hey, I want to check your phone." Like, you should have nothing to hide, so that shouldn't be an issue. Secondly, there are different programs and softwares I, I alluded to. Things like Covenant Eyes is one. Mm-hmm. Accountable to you. It's the word accountable. The number two Y O U. Triple X Watch. These are kind of programs you download them to your devices and you give the phone number, email, and name of three different accountability partners. So when you type in a questionable website, not only do they block it, but they now send a notification to your accountability partner saying, hey, Kyle or Derek is watching something and a good accountability partner will text you and go, uh, what's up? You know. So there are things like that that can help. Um, if you are presently addicted to pornography, depending on what your church stance is, it might not be an enjoyable process, but you got to go to your superiors and say, Hey, I've been struggling with this. And here's the really, really tough part. They might ask you to take a a restoration process. They might ask you to step away for a month. They might ask you to step away for a year. I know with the assemblies of God, um, if you want to get credentialed as a minister, one of the questions they ask you is, have you watched pornography at all in the last two years? If you answer yes to that question, you need to wait until that two years is up. That's a really sucky process, right? Yeah. If you fall once and, and and it seems like a little harsh, but the, the rationale with that is not to, you know, weed people out, but it's to instill in you that mm-hmm. if you're going to be a pastor, we want you to make sure you understand the severity of, of this kind of thing. So that's not super fun, but like be proactive in it. And, and kind of where I want to piggyback and, and finish this part of, of yourself is part of having accountability, being proactive is understanding when you're vulnerable. Cause here's a crazy thing. If you look at first Kings chapter 19, Elijah had a groundbreaking moment yep. in his ministry. He called down fire on the bull on the altar in front of all the Baal worshipers, this insanely cool moment. Youth pastors, you might throw together a camp or retreat. You might have a youth group night where kids are getting saved at the altar. Kids are getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's one of those nights you go and go, holy crap, look what God did. Don't be surprised if the next day when you wake up by yourself in your bed, you're tempted to watch pornography. Why? Because you're vulnerable. You just had something super awesome you gave of yourself. You might be exhausted, worn down, tired, extra emotional. It's in those moments you are extra vulnerable to attack. Well, and as as the enemy looks at you know individuals within the church, if you are not a threat to the enemy, then he is probably not going to waste his limited resources and time attacking you. Right. If it, you know those victories that Derek is talking about make you a noticeable threat to the enemy. And so that's, that's the kind of person that, that he's going to want to attack. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? So a lot of those things, if you're a youth pastor and you're in a good spot, it's one of those things where you might be go, yeah, that's good. But like now, how do I t- instill this in my students? You know, cause it's one thing for you to have this conviction of, okay, pornography is bad. What do I do with it now? what do we do to help our actual students? You know, like what, how do we go? And so where I like to start with that is tell students why before what this whole narrative that the church has is sex is bad. Don't do it. Doesn't work. It really doesn't. And when, if, if it, when you do get married, you have people who like straight up, 
one of the things that my wife and I worked through in the first year of our marriage is because we had been ingrained that sex is bad, even after we're married and we're engaging in sexual experiences, we're still feeling shame afterwards. Why is that? Because it was beat into our heads growing up, sex is bad. Sex is dirty. Sex is shameful. Like, it's not. Like, as we just talked about, it's something that is God-given. So don't just tell your students, hey, pornography is bad. Don't do it. Yeah, going back to uh, our... We, we did a couple episodes on purity culture, uh, episodes 33 and 40 that really dove into that. But, uh, and so go listen to that if, if you want more, right. but you know, the pr- underlying premise is, you know, just beating into somebody's head. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. And then all of a sudden there's this magical line you can cross and now it's good. Like it is impossible to just flip that switch in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like practically speaking, how can you do this? Like be strategic. Okay. Like addressing pornography as a whole probably isn't something you want to do in depth like this, just from the stage you can, but maybe you break it up into junior high and senior high. And from there guys and girls, you know, like I think that when you can, if you just have a, a group of guys and girls and you talk about the struggles of pornography and everything that goes with it, you're probably not gonna have a lot of students who open up, but one of my favorite experiences in my youth ministry time was there was a certain trip that we were on where it was just guys in a room and we were talking about life and, and, and Jesus. And inevitably it turned to purity and pornography. And dude, for three hours, like we just prayed with each other and for each other and just confessed like, hey, you know, here's where we screwed up in the past, so on and so forth. And it was like groundbreaking. You're not going to mm-hmm. do that if you... if if two guys are in a group with two girls, like you're not going to be that real and that raw. And so be strategic about how you talk about it because otherwise you just might not be super effective. Yeah, that's good. I think, you know, getting parents involved is another really, really key thing. Uh, I mentioned earlier, like if you are going to talk on a Wednesday night uh, at in this realm, uh, you know, sending an email to parents ahead of time and, and letting them know, hey, this is what we're going to be talking about. Uh, this coming Wednesday, uh, you can you know get as specific or as general as you want, but giving parents a heads up because uh, you might uh, like you might get some parents that are like, okay, I'm gonna not have my kid come to that Wednesday night mm-hmm. uh, because they're not there yet. Uh, but ideally, you can partner with parents on this to for them to say, hey, okay, that sounds great. Like one, maybe they want to come yep. and, and be a part of that night, hear what it's all about. And and then they can piggyback off of that uh, within the home and, and have some follow-up conversations uh, with their student. Uh, you can send parents resources as well uh, to where you can, uh, again, equip parents to have and continue to have these conversations uh, with their student outside of, of the church building context. Yeah. You want parents involved and, and it's so much better to send an email and be, you know, prepared than to get an email after the fact. Like, did you just, what my kid came home saying all these things. So parents got to know. And when you're talking about it, be direct but be full of grace, okay? Like, let's not get cute with how we talk about this. If you say the words pornography, masturbate, sex, you are going to feel, physically, physically feel the tension build in the room. 
saying any one of those words, and I promise you, especially if you have junior hires in the room, yeah. you're going to literally feel the wor- the room squirm because they don't want to talk about it. But you need to be direct and talk about things as they are because if you sugarcoat it and say, so if we just watch images on a screen or we we do things behind closed doors, that's the kind of the language we use. And there's a time and a place for that. But when you are direct, it normalizes it. Not normalizes it as makes it okay, but normalizes like, guys, we're talking about Yeah, we can have this conversation. Yeah. And it just, it normalizes that, you know? And so be direct, but then this kind of, the, the grace part of it, youth pastors, if you have not watched pornography and you've been quote unquote delivered from this for years at a time, you need to understand students in the room probably have not. And there's a solid chance this is the first time they are hearing that this is not good for them. So they're probably going to struggle. They're going to mess up. Maybe tomorrow, maybe when they get home from youth group, they're going to fall. Like you need to have continual sources of grace and redemption for them to understand that this road to being like away from pornography is not just a steady line upwards. They're going to go a day and like, you know, they might fall and they're going to come to you with like their head down, like a, a puppy with their tail between legs. Yeah. I, I, I messed up again. Okay. But didn't you go like a whole day without it? Yeah. That's awesome. That's progress. Like you need to be the biggest champion you can behind your students, even if they fall, because if you go, yeah, man, that sucks. Like we'll get it. Like, no, like you need to be encouraging that even when they fall, show them love, show them grace. Don't accept it perhaps, Yeah. but show them that, you know, what, what, it's one of those things where you might have not watched pornography for three months. And so when you fall, you feel like you completely screwed up and like, you're like, how am I going to get back there? The person in your life that can speak truth and encouragement to you, I guarantee will dictate the future of where you go now. Because if you tell them that like, if you feed into this insecurity to them that they suck and that they're a failure and they're never going to be delivered from it, they're not. But if you are there for them to encourage them and show them the love and redemption of Jesus, it's going to be six months. It's going to be a year and a half. It's going to be five years, you know, and so on and so forth. If you have a youth student that is struggling with, you know, insert other sin here, like, oh man, they're struggling with lying. If you find out they lied, like there's, there's all sorts of grace for that. Mm -hmm. But a lot of churches, you know, sexual sin of any kind is just an immediate, you're done. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, you're right. There, there has to be a balance of, there does have to be a balance between grace and, you know, hard love sometimes. Yep. Uh, but, but that grace definitely needs to be present. The last thing real quick here is that we mentioned earlier, uh, the, the link between pornography and human trafficking. And, you know, for, for us as believers, we, like Derek and I have always been, you know, it's always been big on our hearts fighting human trafficking, but this is something where if, if we can take a stand and fight against human trafficking, uh, you know, that over the long run can, you know, that, that's a a really good way to take down, you know, an industry like this. If, if the, if the demand of human trafficking and the resources for human trafficking disappear, then so does a lot of this industry. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and it, it's one of those things where, with that too, just be willing to take a stand. You know, saying that 
you're not going to watch pornography and, and staying to that is huge, you know, but it's one of those things that if, if we truly want to see the youth and our kids not step into this, it's not going to just be a passive non-compliance. It's going to be us taking an active stand. So, you know, youth pastors, you might have a message or a thing that pornography is bad and you, the student might go home just, you know, emotional from realizing what's going on, sharing with mom and dad who maybe, let's say, enjoy watching pornography. You might get a, an email the next day. Yeah. You might get a text saying, don't tell my kid what to do. They can choose what they want. And and just be okay with that. You know, you don't, you don't need to defend yourself. You don't need to to get into this whole thing of 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 all of this. Understand that you're probably gonna get pushback, but stand your ground and continue to just stand up for what you believe in. Yeah, it's it's always no matter what you say in youth ministry, there's always gonna be somebody that disagrees with it. Uh, this is definitely you know one of those times where somebody's gonna have an issue with it, and it just happens. But uh, we believe that uh, that the word of God holds true. So uh, if we believe that, we got to take a stand for it. Amen, brother. I love it. That does it for today's episode. Uh, on behalf of Derek, I appreciate everybody uh, hanging out with us for 73 minutes. Uh, but uh, I think it's about time that we just go and smash every computer ever. Uh, kind of, kind of like a gouging out your right, your eye yeah. situation. Yeah. Sledgehammer let's just hammer to the computer. Let's just sledgehammer to all the computers. Goodbye. Goodbye.